So as we kick off the uh, Christmas season here at First, it always gets me thinking of just some of the, the gift exchange traditions that, that everyone has. And the funny thing is, if you ever notice that every family does something a little bit different, don't they? Uh, my family, for example, every Thanksgiving, what we would end up doing is you would draw a name out of a hat from one of our family members. And instead of buying them a gift, you would actually do a charitable donation on behalf of that person. Perhaps something that they were passionate about or something that related to their life. One of my friends recently shared with me online uh, how his dad would give every one of the kids in the family some type of spiritual formation thing that they would use throughout the entire year as a family. Another person shared that the, the order in which they open gifts was important, that you do the big gifts first, and then you do the stockings, then you have breakfast, and then you do all the other wrapped gifts and, you know, there's those people who it's, it's, it's all out war. You just go for it under their tree. There's the people who, you know, you, you got to check and maybe guess. There's always the funny gifts, the, the did you buy it online, the as seen on TV. But arguably one of the most common uh, gift traditions is the white elephant gift, right? Now, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced a white elephant gift exchange, but we do one every single year as a staff. And uh, uh, two, two years ago, uh, we had a, or two white elephants ago, I should say, we had a particular staff member who had yet to understand how we kind of play white elephant uh, here as a staff. Now we typically do, you do kind of a gag gift, a, a, a low amount, but it's always something that someone can use. But one of our staff members who uh, should not go unnamed uh, wrapped one of these in a box. <laughs> So everyone else is giving these funny, quirky coffee mugs or, or, or toilet bowl dresses or whatever. And uh, one of our staff members, who shall not be named, <coughs> Josh Page, um, decided to wrap a tennis ball that he found around his house. Now, I just got to share with you what I got this year from our staff white elephant gift exchange. It's pretty awesome. It might change your life. But check out these bad boys. Aren't these amazing? Like, look at these things. I contemplated preaching in these, but then, you know, when I get to like the really important stuff, it would just be distracting because that's all you would see is the T-Rex pants. But my wife loves them. I'm going to wear them like every day for the next four years of my life. Now, here's the thing is that uh, knowing the giver of the gift kind of changes the dynamic of the gift. Let's just say, for example, you opened uh, one of these as a gift that you got one Christmas. And let's say you opened uh, a box from someone else and it had some of these in it. And if I were to tell you uh, that, that one of these gifts came from your third grader and the other gift came from your boss, it probably uh, changes its dynamic, doesn't it? You see, you see the, the necklace coming from your boss is kind of like, man, can I at least get the jelly of the month club thing instead? And the keys from your kid means they just went onto your dresser to your table and threw them in a box because they forgot to get you something. But if you, if you flip that and the giver of the necklace is that third grader, you know that they put some love and some passion behind the macaroni necklace. And if you're getting a pair of these from your boss, well, it's probably a sign that it's been a good year, hasn't it? And so as we, as we move into the Christmas season, there's always this idea, there's kind of typically two types of gifts that we give. You know, most people, are you a giver of something that somebody needs versus a gift giver of something that somebody wants? You know, maybe you're that practical gift giver that you know, we live in the Midwest, it gets a little cold, so I'm gonna get everyone wool socks. It's probably something you need. 
However, if you want a handheld vacuum to go with that Dyson ball and that Bissell steam mop, it's probably, well, it's probably more of a want than it is a need. And so I think though we need to remember as we, as we enter into the Christmas season throughout our community, that we have a God who desires a relationship with us the giver of life and the giver of all good things. There is an everlasting, all loving God who created you and I, his creation, his children, and that he desires to give good gifts for us. As we go throughout the next couple of weeks in the Christmas season here at first, we're gonna take a look at what we believe to be the greatest gift exchange that there ever was. And so as we start off this morning, I invite you to turn with me in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, as we kick off our sermon series, the Christmas gift exchange here at first. This passage is found in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount near the end. And Jesus gives us these words as we start off this morning. Jesus says this, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, uh, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I see, I always find this passage a little interesting because of, of how it ends. And there's this implied dialogue that's happening. You see, Jesus, Jesus is kind of saying, assuming that, that we are pursuing, that we are asking for things from God in life. You know, what it means is that, that if you believe that there's a sovereign, all-powerful, all-loving God who desires a relationship with you, that you can go to him and ask him and seek him, wouldn't you be asking for things from him in life? I mean, this is one of the major distinctions about the Christian life, the Christian faith, than some of the other religions. You see, some of the other religions say that, yeah, there is a God, or perhaps there's multiple gods. But what they do is, is they sit far off. They sit in a distant place. And maybe if you, if you do enough good works, maybe if you do enough to appease them, you might catch their ear. They might listen to you. They might welcome you into the everlasting life. They're kind of like this, this staunch sitting afar, but you must bring them things in order to appease them. If you do enough, bring enough, then perhaps that deity will consider the end to bestow on you a blessing. But Jesus is changing the narrative. Jesus is changing the, the, the God we believe in, the, the God that, that we here at First Christian Church, say, that we have a God who says, I know you. I desire you. I want to be a relationship with you. And Jesus is saying, so if you have faith, if you believe in the loving and caring God, wouldn't you be seeking him out? Wouldn't you be knocking on the door? Wouldn't you be asking for things in this life? Jesus is kind of saying, I am a good God. My heavenly father, he is a good and loving father. If you who are evil, you have evil living within you, know how to get good gifts, then how much more does this God who created you this God who created the world and everything in it, how much more does he know how to give good gifts? Here's the truth that I think Jesus starts off by giving us this morning is that God knows us. He knows you deeply and intimately. Luke 12 tells us that God knows every number of hairs on your head. And Jesus is saying is that God knows you. 
He knows your heart. He knows your wants. He knows your needs. He knows the desires of your life. And then Jesus, though, he kind of concludes and he says, so, so if you're seeking, if you're asking, if you're knocking, and he kind of throws in what we sometimes refer to as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Most of us are fairly familiar with it. So it got me thinking, why? You know, uh, uh, Amazon's been doing this thing for the last couple of years that's just, well, it's just brilliant. About the day after Halloween, something shows up in your mailbox if, if you've ever purchased anything from Amazon, and it's their, their, their Christmas catalog. And so for, for weeks, no, nay, 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 months, you've got these kids and these catalogs and these stickers, and so for, for two whole months... You've got a good deal with this highlighting and this circling and the mommy and daddy and I want this and I want this. And on page 27, I want this. And on page 89, I put a sticker on this one. It's kind of brilliant. They've created this catalog for every single kid to determine what they want or maybe sometimes what they say they need to have for Christmas. Now, I've always wondered, why don't they have something like this for adults? You know, why can't we get a Costco catalog where we can circle and highlight stuff and kind of hint at people all season long? Seriously, though, if you could create a catalog of your heart for the Christmas season, if, if you could put anything down as this is what I want, what would be it? I'm not just talking about physical possessions. I'm talking about what is the, the truest, deepest desire in your life? Or better yet, if you could say there's a catalog of someone else and they could put things down and there's something that you could gift them, what would it be? If you could get them anything, any fulfillment, any desire, any sense of hope, any sense of peace, any sense of love or comfort or encouragement, wouldn't that be such a cool thing? What would be that deeper need of their life? And what Jesus is kind of saying, he's saying, he says that that, that I am a good God. I know what you want in life. I know what you think you desire above all else. I even know those selfish desires that really, frankly, they maybe last for a little bit, but then they kind of, kind of run out over time. But as a loving father, I will deliver on the promise to give you, to gift you something that will cover the greatest need in your life. And the only thing that you need to do to receive that gift is you just need to ask. You need to seek me out. Man, isn't that a good promise? A great word from the Messiah of what he's given to us. Now, before we get too far down the road, let me ask you that question. Does God give us what we want or does he give us what we need in life? You see, some of us believe that God exists to kind of be like, I don't know, our, our personal vending machine. That whenever we need something or want something in life, he's our cosmic genie that we go up and, well, I want A7 today, God. Hey God, how, how you doing up there, bud? Yeah, you know, you know, it's been a while since we've talked, but uh, you know, you know what I could really use is uh, I'm feeling kind of lonely. So if you could give me that boyfriend or that girlfriend that I've kind of been hoping for, I haven't found that that that, that would be good. Well, God, yeah, I, hey, 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 um, I know that you, you love me and all, and so could you maybe kind of prove that by delivering me uh, that that promotion that's kind of been floating around for some time? You see, some of us that's how we approach God, isn't it? 
We think he's, he's our cosmic genie, a vending machine to say, well, if you truly love me, God, you'll give me the wants, the desires of my life. And what Jesus is saying, he's, no, 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 no. I want to give you first and foremost, and perhaps only what you need truly, intimately, in an everlasting sense out of your life. You see, my son has kind of figured out this dynamic that how to get what he wants. Uh, every morning while my wife and I are getting ready, our kids uh, watch uh, a show or part of a movie. And so we've got a four-year-old and a daughter who's going to turn two here in just a few weeks. And so my son, he always does this funny thing. He, he gets up in the morning and the kids are kind of getting up and he goes up to his younger sister and uh, he kind of says, so, so Avery, what do you want to watch this morning? Do you want to watch Shrek 3 or Trolls Holiday Christmas or Pete the Cat? And, and Avery will always respond with, woo which is her way of saying she wants to watch this show called Dinosaur Train. And then Jude will continue. He'll come up to us and he'll say, uh, so, so Avery said that she wants to watch Pete the Cat. Now, the funny thing is we know exactly what Avery means. We know that she has no desire to watch Pete the Cat, but my son thinks she's being clever because he has these wants, these needs, these desires in life. But if we, if we break it down, there's a difference, isn't there, between what we want and what we need. It's easy to proclaim what we want. That changes and it fluctuates throughout the year. But God, being a good and loving God, says, says again and again, I think I know what you think you want, but I know more importantly what you need. There is a need that each and every one of us have. And God says, and I am going to give a gift for that need. The truth is, is God knows our wants and needs in our life. If he's a good God, if he's a loving God, if he's a holy God, if he's a truth-telling God, then I'm going to leave it up to him to determine, is he going to give me what I want or what I need in life? And what Jesus is trying to lead us towards here in this passage is there is a need that far outweighs any want that you may have in life. And that is not the need of a possession that is not the need of a bank account. In some ways, it's not the need of any other person except for one, that you and I all have a need for a savior to be rescued and redeemed from the wrath of God as the result of our sin, the evil, as Jesus puts it, that lives in us all. And that's kind of where we start the Christmas season. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter three, he kind of outlines it this way when talking about that need that you and I all have. We are born with, we live with, and we need it to be fixed. In Romans chapter three, verses 21 through 24, Paul puts it this way. He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. There it is again, the law and prophets. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, did you pick it up? There it is. We start with this one story and Jesus says, the law and the prophets, you could sum it up by saying, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And here it is again, Paul is saying, you know, the law and the prophets, everything that they talked about, everything that they wrote about, guess what? All of that was to point to the righteousness, to the holiness of God, to, to kind of outline God's intention. You see, God, Jesus uh, says that God gives good gifts, treating your neighbors as yourself as the fulfillment of the law and prophets. And, and Paul kind of sneaks in. He says, so, so yeah, about that, 
Uh, we, don't, we don't do that well. We don't, we don't do that naturally on our own. You see, what the law and prophets were designed to do, what they were given to us as a gift was to say, this is God's purpose. This is God's design. This is what righteousness looks like in life. It was never given as a list of rules, as a way to, to earn God's love or God's faithfulness. Rather, it was a blueprint to remind us of two things. Number one, God is holy. He does not make mistakes. He is good. And second of all, that frankly, we fall short all the time. And Romans 3 gives us the hardest truth that we must all face is that we are broken. We are evil. We are sinners in need of being rescued and redeemed. That as we live this life, it's mistake after mistake that mixed in with the good things, the, the, the positive choices, the way in which we encourage and love one another. There's also a list that continues to grow along with it. And that's how we have removed ourselves from the glory of God. That sin as a result keeps us from living in God's glory on our own. Now you might be sitting here kind of thinking, Eric, this is Christmas, isn't it? This is, we're, we're, we're Christmas time. Why are we talking about sin and, 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 and death and redemption? I thought this was Christmas. Where's, where's the baby Jesus? Where's the star? Where's the angel? Where's the manger with the baby living into it? I thought this was Christmas. Well, here's the reason. Is that the reason that Jesus was born the reason that, that, that Mary and Joseph traveled to the inn, the reason that, that baby Jesus was laid in that manger, the reason there was that star in the sky, the reason that the angel presented himself to the shepherds, the reason that those angels proclaimed, he is here, Hosanna in the highest. Dare I say, the reason for the season, it is not toys, it's not cider, it's not trees or lights, but it is about a gift, the gift, the gift that covers the greatest need that we all have. And that is Jesus, the gift of a savior through the grace of God. For we are justified, Paul says. That's the way of saying that we have been made right with God, just as if I never sinned. We've been given this gift freely by his grace through faith, the redemption that came through the work of Jesus Christ. Simply put, we are given the greatest gift for our greatest need, and that is the grace of Jesus. So here's the best part, though, is that is a gift that, that, that we receive. It's an exchange that happens, and Paul kind of talks about what it took, what it required for the great Christmas gift exchange. Paul continues in Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. He kind of explains how this exchange happens. He says these words. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance that he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What Paul is kind of saying is, is he's saying that there has to be someone who pays the price for that evil, for that sin that lives within us. Now, let me take a step back and remind us briefly about kind of how the sacrificial system worked in the Old Testament. You see, you would constantly, throughout the year, you would intentionally exchange your sin, your, so to speak, blood, what, what, is, what you would have to pay in exchange for the death of an animal. 
And so what Jesus has, has done for us is he has not only abolished that system, he has replaced that, that, that many time over sacrifice with his one time sacrifice because he is the perfect, pure, holy, righteous, atoning sacrifice. You see, in the Old Testament, there would be an animal who would take your place. But in the New Testament, what we believe, what we have received, the good news, the gospel message is that there is another man who takes your place. And he is the fulfillment in order to pay that price once and for all. The message is the same. From the beginning of time, I'll take your blood and I'll give you my heart, God says. I'll take that brokenness and I'll exchange it with my wholeness. I will take your sin and give you my son. See, God exchanges. He always has and he always will. Our gift for his, our sin for his grace, our brokenness for his holiness. He always exchanges our gift for his. It's like taking the macaroni necklace and saying, hey, you get the keys. That over and over, no matter what, that is the gift we need. That is what we celebrate. That is what we remember when Christmas season hits. You see, the reason for this season is because God sees sin in all of us. That the reason that, that, that Christmas is even a thing has nothing to do with the baby, but has everything to do with the fact that sin runs our lives and lives in this world. But the heart behind the Christmas season is that when God saw that sin, he made a way so that someone else would pay the price. So that he could be a father who loves us, who gives good gifts over and over and over to say, I don't want you to be controlled. I don't want you to be consumed by that sin. Rather, let me make a way so that we can have an eternal, everlasting relationship. But the response to the season, well, that's up to you. That's up to me. That's up to all of us. How are we going to respond to the reason for the season? In Ephesians chapter two, Paul kind of tells us, he gives us a way in which we respond to the reason for this season. He says this in Ephesians two verses eight, nine, and 10. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved, saved from that sin, saved from that brokenness through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the what? Gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do so. If I were to sum it up, I'd put it this way, okay? That the way in which we respond to the grace of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the way in which we exchange our sin for his grace is that it is always a gift that is received. It is never achieved. That there is no amount of good works that you must do to earn your way into heaven, to, to appease God, to keep him happy with you. Rather, because he is a good God, a loving God, he has given you that gift of grace. But because he is also a just God and a holy God, he said, the price must be paid. But guess what? It doesn't have to be you. So if you just come to that reality that you are broken, that you are full of sin, if you believe that Jesus Christ paid that payment for you, I will welcome you into my family. I will exchange your sin with my son so that you can live with me for all eternity. So how do we respond? What do we do with the gift of Jesus? 
I think there's three things that we can do this Christmas season as we begin to reflect about the gift of Jesus. Number one is that we receive it. Now, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus, but if you have yet to receive that gift, you can do that. If you're following with us online, you can make a note, you can make a comment. And one of our pastors who is in in the chat room or online with you would love to talk with you how you can receive the gift of Jesus. We do it by confessing our sins, saying that, that we are sinners in need of grace. We repent of that way of life and believe that through his, his love and his grace that Jesus will make us new. Number one is that we need to receive it. Number two is that we need to desire that gift. You see, the grace of Jesus is not a one-time thing. It's not a check mark that we put on a box and say, okay, cool, I'm good. You know, I've got my eternity locked up, so now I just continue living life. No, no, it is a transformation that happens within us all. That we not only receive it, but we desire it. That there is a head knowledge and a heart change that comes with following Jesus. You see, if you're like me, that's kind of the the living after Jesus part that that is full with all the ups and downs. I know that I, I am a sinner. I know that I've received grace, but am I desiring it over and over again? Day by day, moment by moment, morning by morning, am I desiring it? It's that same thing that Jesus gave to us in Matthew 7 at the beginning of this morning's message is saying, just ask, seek me, ask for a heart that chases after me, that desires to be obedient to my word, to live in the kingdom of God in a way that transforms your life. And the last thing that we are entrusted to do with the gift of Jesus is to share it. That this is not a gift that we just receive and hold on to it ourselves and say, I've got mine. I don't know about you. You need to figure it out. No, no, this is a gift that we are called and entrusted to share with the world. Because that's what I want to ask you. I want to ask all of us this morning is, is who perhaps in your life do you have the opportunity to share the greatest gift? Who in your life do you have to live and to love in a way that you, 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 you share with them the goodness of God, the love, the grace of Jesus that has transformed your life? Who in your life perhaps needs to be reminded of the reason for the season? And so as we continue to worship this morning, we're gonna move to our time of response, which starts with partaking in communion together. So if you have your communion elements, I invite you to to get those ready now. If you want to press pause, go grab those and come back. You can do that as well. But the way in which we remember the true reason for this season is not just that Jesus was born, but that he was born, he lived, he died, and he rose again. In the last night of his life, Jesus was sitting with his disciples. He was eating dinner in the upper room, gathered around so to speak, fulfilling the reason for the season, getting ready to do that. And he gathered them and he held up a piece of bread and he broke it in half. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in that same moment, he held up the cup. He held up the wine and he said, this represents my blood shed for you, take and drink. After both of those, he said, now continue to do this in remembrance of me. As we continue to worship this morning, we encourage you to take a few moments to remember the reason for this season, the great gift exchange that happens in the life of all of those who believe in faith by grace. 
the work of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we continue to worship this morning? God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your love. Father, I thank you that you made a way that you so willingly gave out of your desire to be with us, to take care of that sin, to still be a holy and just God who at the same time could be a fully loving and powerful God. I thank you that it is a free gift. It is a gift that we do not earn. It is not a gift that we have to work hard for, but rather it is a gift that works in us after we have received it. So God, I I pray for us as we continue to enter into this season, may we see ways to remember that even though you saw sin in us, you saw a greater way to give us that exchange of our sin for your son. May we worship you this morning. It's your name that we pray, amen.